0: When God is doing a new thing in your life, it ain't, it, it ain't necessarily going to be the next day everything changes. Uh, maybe that's true for some things, but there was a lot of a lot of preparation that God was doing in me to be able to have this new new uh, second chance, new career. You, you see God's hand in it now more than ever.
1: Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. As you can tell by the name of this podcast and the website I run, I'm a bit of a music history buff. I really enjoy hearing the stories behind the music. Sometimes those stories are about how a song was written. Sometimes it is the spiritual journey that leads a person to choose topics to sing about. But there is always an interesting story, and these stories are well worth documenting. In today's podcast, I talk with Richard Souther. Richard was an in-demand studio and touring musician who played in the early Jesus music movement, with artists like Barry Maguire, Second Chapter of Acts, and Phil Kagey, just to name a few. But early in his career, Richard experienced a significant medical event that, for all intents, should have spelled the end of his illustrious career. But thanks to some friends around him and a new technology called the Synthesizer, Richard was able to resume his career and go on to be a prolific creator of contemplative music. But before I jump into my conversation with Richard, I feel the need to provide a little background. You see, I use a service that helps record studio-quality audio with my guests, even though we aren't in the same physical space. Well, that service went down and didn't work. (laughs) So we had to go with a backup plan, and we had to use our cell phones to have this conversation. And then, during the phone call, we got disconnected. I'm thinking, sheesh, technology is failing me. So some of the technical quality of this conversation isn't quite what I like to have. And for a while, I was even beginning to wonder if maybe this episode wouldn't happen at all. And then, and I've wrestled a little bit with whether I should even bring this up. So please take these words as a statement of loving respect. Due to his medical crisis, which we spend some time talking about, Richard has some short-term memory loss issues. This may come across as slow speech, and I thought about trying to edit the conversation to make it easier to follow. But I decided to leave the conversation mostly unedited because I really want you to hear Richard's heart. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Richard, and and I hope you do too. So, no more explanations, let's just jump in to my conversation with Richard Souther. Well, I'm honored to have on the podcast today Richard Souther. Richard has played on a number of albums from all kinds of different artists. If you go back, you can find him on Second Chapter of Acts and Jamie Owens-Collins, Debbie Boone, and just a ton of others. Uh, He's also released a number of uh, instrumental albums that he's done. I think I counted over 30 of them. And uh, he was one of the first artists on the fledgling Meadowlark Records. And I think we'll try to talk about that a little bit, too. One article I read called Richard, A Child Prodigy, and I don't know if that's fair or not, but we're going to find out. And so, Richard, it is exciting to have you on the podcast today.
0: Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure for me.
1: Well, I'm not even really sure where to start because you have such a large body of work. You've got uh, classical and jazz, uh, rock and electronic stuff that you've done. So maybe the best place to start is just at the beginning and uh, understand how you kind of got started playing music.
0: Well, You know, it's. uh, I guess I was meant to because I started at three and a half years old. I lived um, next door to the, he was the ex-dean of the uh, University of Utah, the music department there. He'd retired and he'd moved down to North Hollywood where uh, my mom and I were living, my grandmother. And he came over one day uh, and saw that I was, Sitting in front of the television, and uh, I had a little toy piano. Okay. And uh, when the commercials came on, I was able to pick out the melodies from the, you know, the commercials. Oh wow! And he, he said, uh, you know, uh, Catherine, I'd like to teach your son. Um, I think he's got potential. And um, he he became my the first. Piano teacher that I had, and uh, I studied uh, classical piano with him till uh, till he passed away when when I was around 11 years old. And he was a wonderful teacher. He uh, not only encouraged me uh, to you know to to seek out different composers and stuff and play their music, but also he uh, he, to he like encouraged me to improvise, ah. and, uh, and it was just, he was, like, he was just an amazing, just a, and he was a mentor, you know, he yeah. was just an amazing person. And, and so it was, a, it was hard when, when he passed away. Uh, um, there, was a, there was a real loss there. He was, like, a, a second father to me. Mm-hmm. His name was Thomas Giles.
1: So was he completely classically trained? Are you you said he encouraged you to improvise? Did that get you started kind of down the jazz path?
0: In in a, in a funny way, it did. You know because um, I would I would take the uh, the different pieces of music the the, uh, the little it started off with just little uh, simple Mozart and little Beethoven melodies and things like that, and I would improvise off of those. I would. You know, as he would say, you know, he just went off the page, yeah. <laughs> and and so I I would I would do that, but he would encourage that. He, he you know he, I just had so much fun, and um, oddly enough, and that all changed when he passed away. Uh, my mom, you know, by that time, uh, my mother thought that oh, you know, this this is going to be a, a you know a, a classical. Uh, thing for Richard now, he's going to move on and, and, and uh, you know, uh, get into the whole concertizing and that yeah. kind of thing. And so she uh, sought out teachers that um, that were like heavy-duty ones, and uh, she found this old Russian fella that was, he was a student. Of a student of Franz Liszt, and it was like major, major guy, and um, but he was he was totally old school, you know, and so if you didn't sight read something right the first time, you got whacked on the hands. Oh wow! And uh, and of course, <laughs> I wasn't used to that at all. I, that was <laughs> it was like another <laughs> another deal for me. Yeah. And so when when uh, and he also didn't like it when, when my, when my mom came, uh, with me. So she, he asked her to stay in the car while he was teaching me.
1: That's old school. And so,
0: <laughs> yeah, totally old school. And, and so I, I, um, I, I didn't have a handle on, you know, what was going on with, with this, this guy and in, indoor, all I knew was, is that, um, I just, I would start to get physically sick uh, before I'd get out of the car when she'd take me to lessons. Mm-hmm. And so she finally put two and two together and realized that something was going on in it. it lasted for about nine months. I, I studied with him. And, uh, and, and, you know, not to, I mean, he was an amazing teacher, but uh, uh, the whole uh, discipline, uh, that kind of physical discipline uh, it was not for me, and so I, around uh, whenever it was eleven or twelve years old, I, I just I said you know mom I don't I don't want to play anymore I don't want to study with this guy I don't want to play anymore, so I gave up piano for about a year, mm. and um, and but I still wanted to do music you know and so I I. Uh, uh, it was around the time that surf music was coming in it's way way back you know mm-hmm. back in the early 60s and so I, I i told her i'd like to get a guitar and, and you know and learn how to you know play surf guitar and um so she you know she thought well that's great you know uh, you know and she helped me get a guitar uh and um <clears throat> take lessons and i just didn't get it i i I couldn't relate to the fingerings and, you know, all the years of classical training and stuff for piano. I couldn't translate that over other people, you know, do and have, and and, uh, that's great, but it didn't work for me. But where we were living uh, at the time, uh, you know, it was during the beginnings of, you know, every street had a garage band on right. it, or a surf garage. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I, um, uh, my friends uh, on the street said, you know, uh, why don't you uh, uh, get a, a, a little organ and uh, and play in our band? Ah. And so it was kind of like, okay, I I can do that.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, so talked to my mom about that and and called my dad, my mom and my dad were separated, and and uh, so my, my dad was happy to,
1: to help out, and I got
0: a little, uh, they called them Farfisa combo compact organs, oh. and uh, you know, you could, uh, it was just a little thing, but but uh, it, had the, it had the surf music sound to it, and, and so um, I got back into playing keyboard through that, and that was the beginning of, oh gosh, I was playing in different bands from, from that time on
1: Yeah.
0: till, uh, you know, gosh, till I was in my, my uh, late teens.
1: So at what point did you kind of uh, morph into becoming a studio musician playing for other people? Because you were playing for local bands, right? Your friends' bands and stuff. At some point, you became a studio musician, a pretty well-demanded studio musician, too.
0: Well, when it was kind of a long-evolving thing. The first time I went into a studio uh, to record uh, as a studio musician was um, there was a, um, a studio in Hollywood called Gold Star Records, and the Beach Boys had recorded there, and a lot of people record there. There was a kind of a funky place, okay. but um, the first actual recording session I did wasn't even on the piano, it was on vibes. Oh. Um, it was one of those things where it was, you know, it was a simple part and stuff, but it, you know, it involved a certain amount of technique, and um, and I was about 14, 15 years old around that, that time, okay. but in each band I was in, you know, everybody, you know, all the musicians had, you know, the desire to want to do an album. Okay. You know, this was in the 60s, Sunset Strip, uh, you know, um, the, the the whole psychedelic era. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed like all the record companies were looking for the next big deal. Right. And, and so, you know, bands were cutting records, right, and left back then. And um, So I was with several that, you know, did an album, never went anywhere, but sure fun. Yeah, you know, at the time. And, but it, it kind of, you know, uh, gave me an idea of what it was like to work in the studio. My, my real studio experience, though, uh, probably came more in my my twenties. Okay, you know, uh, uh, late teens, early twenties.
1: So you got hooked up with a band that was called a band called David. Was that specifically to support second chapter and Phil Kagan? Or was that something that was playing before all of that happened?
0: Well, um, it was actually, um, it kind of evolved. Um, uh, it was actually kind of a house band. Uh, if you can call it, call it a house band. Yeah. It, uh, uh, the church where we all went—it was Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California. Jack sure. Hayford's church. Yeah. And um, we uh, we were kind of, we we kind of became the backup band for different uh, people that were that needed a backup band at, at the church. Uh, I think the first, possibly the first person we worked with was uh, Jamie Owens Collins. Okay. Um and then Jimmy Owens needed a band for um a live band for uh his musical Come Together.
1: Okay, right. Oh wow, that's
0: really going back. <laughs> yeah. Um the original band called David was um let see, it was Herb Melton, Gene Gunnels Paul Offenbacher and myself. Herbie uh Herbie was the, uh, the instrumental person in leading me to the Lord. Oh. Uh, Herbie and I, we'd been in several bands from our, our early teens, but um, it was the four of us. We had been praying about a name, too, what to call the band. Uh-huh. And uh, we uh, I think it was Paul that said, you know, what about a band called David? Because, you know, David was a man. After God's own heart, right, and that's where we were at. You know, we weren't like super musicians. You know, or, you know, uh, we were. We but we wanted to be, uh, you know, excellent and in, right. in our playing. And there, there came a time when when uh, Buck Herring from Second Chapter yep. came up to us because Second Chapter was going to church on the way to and uh, said, you know. Um, they had had a band before before us, and it kind of didn't work out. Mm. Uh, and Buck said, "You know, we were are looking for a, a, a new live band to uh, to tour with us." And, yeah. And actually, we the four of us had had been praying about the possibility of working with Second Chapter even before before we were asked.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, and, and so when when uh, when Buck asked, uh, we said, well, we've prayed about it. And the answer is yes, we'll, we'll be your band.
1: Very cool. <laughs> so how long did you travel with Second Chapter then?
0: Uh, I I personally traveled with them probably, I'm going to say, 72, 73 to 78. I left left in 78
1: well, this puts you right smack dab in the beginning of that Jesus music movement. Did you yes. find that was influential in the the stuff that you were trying to
0: play? It's interesting. Uh, like with with uh, with Second Chapter, their their first album was um, all session players, wonderful session players, and um, and so we were the band basically learned the parts off the records Mm, and uh, and they were very particular about they wanted they wanted it to sound like the record right and at the same time um our first tour was with second chapter and barry mcguire we went to new zealand um, and barry was kind of the the opposite he he encouraged you know he just you wanted the band to to have a good time okay. and you know project that through in the music. so we we kind of had we had very structured things the second chapter, and very loose, fun things with Barry. yeah. and so it was kind of the best of both both worlds for us in, in uh, especially in that first few tours we did.
1: Well, that's not too shabby of uh, a way to cut your teeth, playing for Second Chapter and Barry Maguire, two very, very large names now in the history of Christian music. That's pretty cool.
0: At the time, I don't think the band realized it. Uh, we were honored, you know, yeah. to to do it. But we, yeah, they're, they're, it was a pretty, they were pretty amazing folks to work with. Yeah.
1: Well, as I mentioned in our introduction, you were one of the, I think, one of the first artists on the, the Metal Arc Records label. That was back in 85. Is that, that's the first that I have record of you recording your own album. Is that the start of your solo career, so to speak?
0: It started two solo careers, yeah. actually, for me. Talk <laughs> yeah, about because, that. Um, uh, well, I released, under my my name's Richard Southert, I released a synthesizer electronic type album. Mm -hmm. And under my middle name, Douglas Stowbridge, I released a solo piano album Um, at the same time. They, uh, I'll try to make this as as (laughs) clear as possible. (laughs) Of course, I was, you know, I was thinking about this today. I remembered, when I used to do uh, interviews for those records, it was kind of like, well, who am I today? <laughs> oh, I've got some Douglas Wilbridge interviews going on. Okay, it wasn't that uh, Sparrow, uh, the metal arc, people were trying to hide hide it, but it wasn't like they were going to, like, you know, be too out front about it either, right, right. <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, that I was the same artist. But it was it was it was an amazing time for me because prior to that I didn't think I'd be doing any music yeah. uh, uh, ever again from because uh, of uh, my accident in, in 1981. Right. And when that, when that offer came about, it was uh, boy, it had to be a God thing.
1: Sure. Well, you've alluded to it to a couple of times. Do you want to talk about your accident?
0: Sure. Um, I was working with in Colorado and in, in Boulder Colorado back in 81 uh January with Phil Keggy on a, on a project which I believe possibly became his town to town record I, I can't I I can't recall f- for sure if that's I know that he had to recut, recut the album so I I think it was town to town okay we were at Caribou Ranch. We were in our third or fourth day of recording. And this is going back for me, and a lot of it's hazy. Um, but uh, I got a, um, I had a bad tuna fish sandwich.
1: That's that tuna fish for you, I tell you.
0: <laughs> tuna fish, whoa. Yeah. That, one, that was the tuna fish sandwich that changed my life. <laughs> And uh, at the time it happened, uh, all I remember was is that yeah you know, we were if it was our third or fourth day I don't I don't recall I just know that it was probably uh, you know late at night and we had finished recording for the day and uh, underneath the studio was a kitchen and I went down and uh, saw a bowl of prepared tuna fish. And thought, you know, because I hadn't eaten most of the day, and I I thought, I'll just fix myself a sandwich before I go to bed. So I, I, you know, saw this prepared tuna fish, put it on, you know, put it on a sandwich. And uh, uh, ingested the whole thing. And the next thing I know is is that uh, I I go to bed, wake up a couple hours later. Room is spinning. I thought, I'm dying here. Wow. You know, this is, I thought, this is the end for me. Uh, the guys found me the next morning, hunched over the toilet and, and, uh, they said, we need to, you know, get you to an emergency or something. I said, no, just get me on a plane, get me home. Wow. And they didn't know what was going on. And honestly, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew Royce inside me said, go home, you know, get home. Don't go to an emergency. So, um, I flew home. Um uh, the drummer Jack Kelly flew home with me bless his heart, and made sure I got home and I went to u c l a uh and, and that's when they determined I had gotten botulism uh and uh and they really didn't know what to do because uh they told me that most people don't survive uh oh, wow. that kind of thing, yeah. And so um, they they sent me home. My mom took me home, and and it became a kind of a let's watch and see what happens. And so uh, a couple weeks go by, and I start getting better. You know, I start feeling more like myself, and I realized you know I'm going to be able to get back into the swing of things pretty easy. And it was around that time that, that that everything stopped you know it was kind of like boom so it wasn't like a you know it wasn't like I got home and everything stopped it, it was like my brain shut down um, to a great extent the, the neurotransmitters stopped working properly serotonin and all of that uh, the synapses weren't getting washed and um, uh, that's when my that's that's when it really kind of hit me yeah. uh short-term memory loss uh speech problems had to learn how to do simple things again tie my shoes wow. and forget about forget about the piano <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh lord. so um yeah for for months i was just kind of huddled on the couch and uh going what is going on Yeah, you know talking to the lord about it what lord why did this happen to me right and and i probably asked him that thousands of times (laughs) because of the short-term memory loss
1: (laughs) yeah so so that obviously put up breaks on this music career that was going crazy um when did that start coming back was that an uh, was was there a change in your music after this experience and and kind of talk a little bit about that
0: sure a, a, a total change because um i <clears throat> i had to i st- you know i wanted to still create music but um i needed because of, of the, uh, of the memory problems, I needed, uh, something that was going to, uh, well, I, I, I got, I, I got into sequencers, computer sequencers, music sequencers, and synthesizers, because I, I saw that as an, as a way to capture my musical ideas before I forgot them.
1: Okay. You
0: know? Yeah. And uh, because I would get I would get into, you know, an idea and I, quite honestly this is still how it is with me. I get into an idea and 30 40 seconds into it I'm going, okay, where am I now? Oh wow. So um and it, <clears throat> if I have charts in front of me that helps a lot. Sure. I mean because you know for a while, where I was, where I've been living, you know, I was able to go out and uh, play at uh, restaurants and things, and I had charts, so I could play things down pretty, okay. pretty easily. Yeah. But as far as like creating music and writing music and everything, it was, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to need a way to capture these uh, uh, creative moments. So that's where, where I got in. I, you know, I, back then, computer sequencers, music sequencers were pretty primitive.
1: Yeah. Uh, in fact,
0: as, you know, they were, you know, you you, you only had so much memory and uh, in the sequencer. But I just I had plenty of time, so I yeah. just boxed and boxed and kind of got into it, saved my ideas, and and. Uh, uh, And then, eventually, those those ideas became uh, became the uh, you know uh, uh, the ideas for the the first uh, album, Airborne. Right. Um, uh, Thanks to my friend Peter York, uh, who saw the potential there. You know, he was he was uh, uh, just starting out uh, at it's Sparrow, okay, and uh, and also thanks to my friend um, uh, Eric Pershing, who was helping was helping me learn kind of learn the ropes of um, computer sequencers and things like that.
1: Well, so obviously this has stuck with you because now you've got, like I said, I think I counted over thirty albums that you've released. That's just the things that I've counted. Yeah, <laughs> you've been pretty prolific. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and the funny thing about the the, uh, the Douglas Trowbridge piano thing was is that they had already had uh, uh, for, med, for the Metal Ark series, the first series that came out, they already had a uh, solo piano album from someone else, but it was, they felt it wasn't fit, fit in the, uh, I don't know, the mood of what they wanted to, to uh, do yeah for that series so uh peter uh said would you like to try doing some uh improvs uh and we'll we'll record them and see if they would work for yeah. uh, for a solo piano album and i said sure i can't guarantee anything and uh <clears throat> so uh we uh we went to uh, Chick Corea's studio uh, that he had um, wherever it was, uh, down in L.A., and uh, he he has this, uh, he had beautiful Homburg Steinway huh. piano, and just, it was kind of a dream piano. Yeah. And we'd gotten a good good rate, you know, to go in for a couple of days. Yeah. And, and I could just kind of improvise. I had, you know, I had certain little um, notes that I had made, uh, you know, and reference points that, so I could kind of, you know, go back and forth. And so it wasn't like, you know, all oh, just you know, here we go, one, two, three, right. you know, who knows what's going to happen. But, <clears throat> um, uh, the, the songs unspoken album came out of those, those improvs. And, uh, And I'll 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 tag one thing on. I right right, literally a couple days before during the Douglas Trowbridge album, I uh, broke the uh, first digit on my my left hand ring finger. Uh um, uh, Trying to chase my uh, runaway dog, I got my (laughs) fingers. I grabbed him and got a hold of got a hold of his cloth collar and, and it turned in such a way that I heard snap and, uh, that digit was, you know, went, went completely, you know, into an L <laughs> and,
1: and fingers are kind of important to a piano player.
0: <laughs> so, you know, it, it's kind of like, Oh, okay, now what? Yeah. And, um, so, um, uh, before before recording every I, day, I, I had to have, I, you know, I had a brace on it and I had the finger numbed as well. You know, they gave me a shot. And, oh, wow. Um, sometimes I took the brace off, sometimes I left it on. I, I tell people, you know, if you listen carefully, you'll hear a little. You know, a little metal, metallic sound on the keys every once in a while.
1: <laughs> we call that percussion now, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, percussion. <laughs> so, and there's a there's a lot of what I call pregnant pauses. Yeah. On the, uh, throughout the music, the record, which which actually worked for it, you know, gave it kind of its own style. But those yeah. those were pauses where I was kind of going, oh man, <laughs> you know. Oh, the pain.
1: <laughs> the secrets behind the album. The the, the pregnant pause was, was not intentional. It was uh, pain break.
0: <laughs> and just just one more thing. You know, the follow-up record? Mm-hmm. Same thing happened again. Only to my little finger. I mean, I wasn't trying to make it happen again. No <laughs> but to my little finger on my left hand, I, uh, I was sitting on a, a drum stool and fell backwards and and hit hit my, my hand with, on the wall behind me in such a way that I broke I broke that finger, and so I just thought unbelievable. This can't happen twice. <laughs> but <Nobody> it did.
1: <laughs> so if it's a Douglas Crowbridge album, you have a broken finger then.
0: yeah two albums to remind me or two fingers to remind me
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny well you've mentioned a couple of times throughout the podcast and and i really love hearing these stories is that uh you turned to the lord or you had a friend that led you to the lord i love hearing our testimonies of how we came to know the lord as our savior would you tell us how you became a christian
0: i had uh Asked the Lord into my life. I think it was probably 1971, around 71-72. I had tried a lot of different uh, things. My, uh, I, I, uh, in my teen years, my uncle was very influential, and he, uh, he was, he was a Philosopher, just an amazing man, and another father figure for me, mm-hmm. and got me into different um, different philosophers, and um, and I, I studied all these different things, and then I kind of after that, I you know, the Beatles come along with the transcendental meditation and yeah. stuff, so I got into that for a little bit. You know, a lot of things that um, that. People my age back then were doing. I, except I didn't. I, fortunately for me, uh, I didn't do any drugs. Never, never did. It wasn't my thing. I kind of thought, and you know, that's. Uh, I'd like to uh, at least if I'm going to play and stuff, I, I want to be coherent when yeah. I play on the you know, on stage. Um, so, but I was checking out different things, Eastern philosophies. And, uh, Um, Dabbling in all these things, I would try each one out a little while, and and it seemed like things would 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 go really well for a while. I'm going, man, this this is really working for me. And you know, a few weeks, a few months later, things kind of stopped working. I this was probably um, close to uh, in seventy, I think it's seventy one. Um, I, I, I started to get into a, a, a whole philosophy thing, almost a, a religious kind of deal, and it was—it became really, really dark for me. Hmm. And I was—I was just, you know, I was really, really depressed. Plus, what added to the depression was the band that I was with. Um, it looked like we were going to. Uh, Possibly get signed to a really great deal, and and it, that fell through, and I was depressed about that, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just a lot of different things that were kind of like, oh my gosh, uh, so I, I just was really really unhappy, yeah. and, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't seem to find any light in in the midst of all of these things. And, um, Herbie, Herbie Melton, my friend, I, I, uh, I had seen a real, real change in him over the, the course of a year or two, uh, where, and, you know, and you can't fake this stuff, right. you know, and, and I, I, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, good for Herbie. He's, he's found his. You know, his road to travel, and, and uh, I'm happy for him, but that's not for me, you know, the whole, you know, Jesus thing. Right. And, um, but I found that at that point where it was kind of like, I am just, I don't know what to do. I called Herbie and said, Herbie, come on over. I want to talk to you. And I said, man, you know, I just feel like the, you know, everything is falling apart for me. And uh, tell me about what, what what's how, how, what's going on in your life? How did this uh, how did this transpire? Where uh, with with Jesus and stuff? I said I was you know raised in the church and they talked about Jesus. It wasn't the same kind of uh, same deal, but right. um, you know. Uh, and and so Ruby said, "Well, you know, Rich." Um, just you know, I want you to pray with me and just ask the Lord to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. And I, you know, and I said, oh man, I, I, I've done that before. And, and he said, no, no, really, just sincerely ask him into your life. And I said, oh, uh, uh, you know, okay. So we prayed and I thank Herbie and, and it was a sincere prayer. You know I, I know that right and you know and literally over the course of a couple of weeks and the clouds started lifting huh. and you know I was I was still skeptical yeah. because you know I uh, because of my past experiences sure yeah so I I knew something was going on inside my spirit you know and and it it, it turned out to be the real deal yeah. and my uh, my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> All my musician friends that you know that weren't Christian thought you know, oh he's great he's now he's a Jesus freak yeah and it was like it, it took root you know in in me and I, I my prayers were like amazing. In regards to, I really felt connected mm. to the Lord for the first time, and and I was still skeptical of, you know, quote organized religion. Yeah. And so when Herbie asked me, uh, you know, why don't you, why don't you come and play with uh, uh, our little band at a coffee shop, or, or actually it was a coffee house. Which was part of church on the way at the okay. time they would do these Friday night coffeehouse things and they would you know they would have a somebody speak and you know and the band would play some uh, uh worship songs right so I, I said, okay, sure you know I, I said, you know, but I ain't going to church you know, <laughs> let's just just get that straight right now, yeah um so I'd go to these Friday night things and i I'd play the piano and and uh I you know, I noticed there was a, a, a real um real love in in the group of people that were there. And, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't phony. Yeah. Um and I thought, man, I like this. This is really, really great. And so eventually when Herbie said to me, you know, uh, why don't you come to a Sunday Service with me, yeah. And I said, "Okay, uh, I guess so. Yeah. We'll try, we'll try it." Yeah. And <clears throat> so here was my my Sunday service, first service. I went to a church on the way. That I recall anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, Ruby, and I go in. So church on the way was just maybe at that time maybe three hundred people. You know, and just literally, it was pretty small. You know? Yeah, I mean, 300 people's kind of big, especially where I live now here in Utah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, uh, but it was, it was a pretty small bunch. And so uh, we kind of, were kind of sardined into the front um, row, or not actually, it was a second to the front, or a couple rows back. And I get literally, um, you know, I, I, I get shut kind of right, you know, almost close to, um, uh, to the middle. And, um, there's a seat next to me and all of a sudden I hear Herbie say, oh, oh my gosh, it's, it's second chapter of Acts, it's Annie Herring, it's, you know, it's Buck Herring and I, and I'm going, what, yeah. Who, who's that, right. you know? I didn't know, and Annie Herring comes and sits next to me, and you know, and everybody starts singing, you know, doing a hymn. Right. And I hear Annie, and, and it's like, wow, Lee's got a beautiful voice. Yeah. And she's got her hands raised, and she looks over at me and and goes, "Isn't the Lord wonderful?" And and I just kind of, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I didn't know what to make of it. Right. Yeah. He was kind of like, uh, yeah, great. I need to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> right. it, it was kind of <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know. That. And then uh, Barry McGuire got up and started uh, singing a song, you know, and I was like, he was so uh, free. And, and you know, and just like kind of, it was just, and it was just, and I'm thinking Barry McGuire, either destruction, you know, I I right. kind of didn't know what to make of thing like either. Yeah. And <clears throat> I just thought that's that's it for me. I I I'm, I ain't coming back here again. This is too out for me because, like I said, you know, my reference point from as a kid going to a church was like, you know, uh, almost you know. Dead silence right. most of the time, and you know, and a very um, uh, when the speaker spoke, it was like a, a monotone deal going on.
1: Very liturgical and lifeless.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I wasn't used to this kind of freedom that I was seeing, you know. And so I, I told Herbie, I said, I, I, I it, it's fine for you, Herbie, but uh, I won't. Don't think I'll be coming back here." And, and and you know so, I had a couple of weeks to think about it all, yeah. and I and I thought, but gee, there's there was nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, what I saw and what I experienced, and Pastor Jack was was uh, was great, and so I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll just start start going again. Okay. And, uh, and so I, you know, long story short there, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to belabor it, but it's, no, cool. it's kind of like that was, I had some of the most wonderful experiences at the early church on the way, um, uh, and, and, you know, and, and being a part of their their house band yeah. and and then being, you know, being able to to travel with, with uh, Second Chapter and Barry and Jamie and some 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 amazing times.
1: The coincidence isn't lost on me. I don't think it's coincidence. I think it's God ordained that the first two major people that you saw besides her was Second Chapter and Barry or Annie and Barry, and then you went on to tour with them later. That's that's got to be cool to be able to say, I'm I'm playing now with people that were very instrumental in my early decision to follow Jesus.
0: Yes, yeah, it it really was, you know, and. It, it, it's registered more over the years, you know. When, when you know, like anything in life, you look back and you start to see yeah. God's hand in the in the patterns of things that that happened, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, He gets you through, you know. He gets you through the the um, those times where you're going, what the heck is going on? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. And and you all of a sudden you see. Yeah, gee, you know that was. I guess that was supposed to be. I guess that was a God ordained thing. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I spent so much time with those folks, and uh, learned so much from those years, and that I, you know, that I was able to apply later on in my my uh, somewhat, you know, secular life, moving moving out moving out of the. Um, uh, contemporary Christian right. music thing and doing, you know, going going into areas, uh, you know, and being labeled a new age artist and all of that, which right. I never liked, but <laughs> it did open, it opened so many doors for me, you know, um, later on.
1: I didn't use the name of the thing because I don't like the new age title either, contemplative music or or whatever, but I, I really encourage folks to get a chance to listen to your music. Check onto your Amazon or iTunes or wherever and find Richard's music. It's just, it's hard to classify because it's not really new age. It's not really, I mean, there's some electronica stuff. Like I said, there's just a wide variety of, of really fun, easy to listen to music that, quite frankly, I've used some of it even during my devotion times because it's just good to have this this kind of Soothing stuff behind the thoughts as you're as I'm working through things that the Lord's teaching me. So uh, I've appreciated that about your music, and I'm just grateful that I've had an opportunity to to listen, and that that this came out of, uh, so to speak, a really difficult time that that accident that you had in '81 that just really kind of changed the path of your of your career and it's just been fun for me to be able to be a recipient of that change that god brought to your life
0: i'm you know uh, i really thought i thought everything was kind of over for me when you know when the botulism thing happened and god took that and did something to me uh that was truly miraculous yeah and it didn't happen quickly you know i, I think I, that's you know for me it was kind of like it evolved over a period of time, and um, it's something that I've, I've had to learn through the years, learn and relearn. Is that it? When God is doing a new thing in your life, it ain't it, it ain't necessarily going to be you know the next day right. everything changes. Right. Uh, maybe that's true for some things, but it you know, there was a lot of a lot of preparation that God was doing in me uh, to be able to um, have this new, you know, whatever you want to call it, new uh, second chance, new career mm-hmm. thing, and uh, it it was just uh, you, you see God's hand in it now more than ever. At the time, I I wasn't I was just kind of confused as to why things were happening, but I I. It wasn't like I turned my back on God or something. and Why did you do this to me? You know, if anything, it was my own dumb fault. You know, but God used it, and 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 even even uh, in that second season in my life where uh, where I had this solo career going on, you know, there was there was lots of different experiences and moments where you know i had to i had to go god is this you that i made a mistake here did i go the wrong way would you please uh would you please intervene (laughs) because i i've definitely gone the wrong way in a couple of you know decisions in you know just in regards to, to um through, through the circumstances and and uh, and i and, but you learn from that yeah. you, you know it, it, you hopefully learn i learned from it anyway <laughs> you
1: know well and I, I i forget who i heard it from but you know it's not that god causes these things to happen to us i'm sure there are some things that he does put in our path to help teach us but i do believe that he uses all things that we go through whether it's a a stupid choice on our behalf or a stupid choice that somebody else did to us or, you know, whatever, that he can use everything to help draw us closer to him to make us the person that God wants us to be. Definitely,
0: definitely. I I truly believe that. He'll he'll use anything, you know, that, um, that can help us grow.
1: I mean, he he used a donkey for Balaam, right? So <laughs> he could use anything.
0: I felt like that donkey many times.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny! That's funny. I have a couple of other questions. If you've come to the close of your career, I'm not I'm not saying that this is happening now, but uh, and maybe there's an author that's writing your life story. What is it that you would hope that people would say is the legacy that you've left? To humanity, to God's work, uh, what would you hope that that author would write about you?
0: I guess that you know, in 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 my own quirky, eclectic, funny way, I was able to help people worship the Lord through my uh, eclectic music, uh, and 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 connect people better to God. Uh, through a melody, through a sound, through a texture, uh, synthesizer texture, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, but something that caused them to want to to basically do what I did, you know, I you know say, you know, Lord, if you're there, I want to know you, yeah, and uh, you know, out of the integrity of my heart, I'm not just doing this. Uh, for the for the fun of it. And I think that would be, you know, that would be what I what I would hope that that I could, you know, leave behind as it were.
1: One of the things we do is we send out a prayer letter every week and we highlight different artists. What is it that we can be praying for you in these upcoming weeks and months?
0: Well, I've been asking the Lord for new music, fresh things, things that that you know haven't been said before, and not not for the novelty of just being being the you know the first one, as it were, to to say them, but something that, that because of the freshness, or the the uh, gee, I haven't heard that kind of a thing before, something that would attract listeners to my music and in turn do what I uh, what I had hoped you know what I hoped will happen you know long after I'm gone and that's to, uh, you know to uh, cause them to focus on Jesus.
1: One of my takeaways from this conversation is the fact that if we give our lives completely to the control of our loving God, he will use us right where we are. Richard could have very easily said, my botulism has wiped out my memory and I'll never make music again. Or he could have said, "Uh, this is a really bad medical crisis, I'm not even going to put any energy into going back into this and I'm going to throw in the towel. But that isn't what happened. He embraced his experience and allowed God to use it to redirect the trajectory of his life. So often I think that we look at our hardships as brick walls or the end of the road. Well, that thing happened to me, so that must mean this isn't for me. Richard's reminder to me was to look at hardships as an opportunity to ask God for help getting over them and maybe even to change our focus to what he wants us to do. Frederick Nietzsche's adage that what does not kill me makes me stronger comes to mind here. More importantly, the Bible even speaks of this in Genesis 50. That's where Joseph didn't condemn his brothers for selling him into slavery, but instead said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Or again, in Romans 8, where Paul reminds us that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I am super grateful that Richard chose to follow the leading God gave him, in spite of what could have been a career-ending event. Well, I'd like to thank you for listening to my conversation with Richard Souther this week. And thank you for your support of this podcast. It's sure fun for me to see the number of people listening each week continue to grow, and that is, in part, thanks to you. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Thanks for spreading the word, and... Thanks to those of you who have reached out to tell me that these conversations are meaningful to you. Keep it up. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Twitter by searching for at CCM exchange, or just jump on my website, christianmusicarchive.com, and you can drop me an email there or learn more about all of the artists that I interview on this podcast. To conclude this episode, I asked Richard if he would share just one song off of his new album called Waiting in the Wings. Now I'm gonna put the links to how you can get his music in the show notes, because I really think you should go pick up some of his music. But Richard suggested that I play the song For the Love of Buddy. It's a tune he wrote about his dog. And I also asked if he would provide the closing comments for this episode. So here is Richard Souther playing For the Love of Buddy along with his closing remarks.
0: Something that I do every day and and it's it's actually connected with walking my dog you know I, I go out every day and, and uh, walk for about 30 40 minutes with my dog but it's a wonderful time for me to, uh, to to just talk to the Lord about everything anything and everything that's going on I try and keep my conversation with with the Lord going all day and all night too, <laughs> on awake. If somebody doesn't know the Lord, um, that happens to listen to this, to start out by asking, you know, if if you're there I want to know about it. And, uh, and if somebody knows knows the Lord and is walking with the Lord and is struggling right now. Just get the conversation going and uh, get, you know, get away by yourself wherever your prayer closet might be. And for me right now in my life, my, my walking, walking my dog is, is, a, is just an amazing prayer closet. And knowing too that God will answer you and he'll speak to you in such a way that you'll know it. As opposed to, you know, it uh, may not be audible, it may be audible. Uh, you just, something will transpire. He'll speak to you and it'll go way beyond your comprehension. And, uh, and you'll know it's him.